Right, hello, and welcome back to Left Inside. I'm your host, Dermot Flood, back again after a bit of an absence. This week we're shifting focus and having a chat about what's going on in America at the moment, and in order to do this, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Whitney Kahn, a member of Reform and Revolution, a Marxist caucus within the Democratic Socialists of America. Thanks a million for joining me, Whitney. Hey, happy to be here. It's great to have you here. So, we had intended to discuss the general political situation in the US, but I think it would be an oversight if we didn't first discuss the recent demonstrations in Minneapolis in reaction to the murder of George Floyd by the police. We're currently recording this on Thursday the 28th. At the start of what seems to be uh, an unravelling situation, how would you describe what's taking place from where you are and the reaction to it? Yeah, um, there's... I think a lot to get into there. Um, there were these, you know, mass protests um, in Minneapolis, which have now um, there have been burned buildings, uh, a lot of property destruction. One thing notable about what's going on in Minneapolis is that so far, as far as I can tell from DSA members on the ground, from news reports, no one has died. The only person who still has died from any of that um, is George Floyd who died at the hands of the police um, being stepped on for nine minutes uh, while he said he couldn't breathe. And there's a, definitely a lot of people who are condemning it, um, who are condemning the, the, the protests and the burning um, that's going on there. I think it's really, um, the, the most thing we said for it is that, you know, rioting is the language of the unheard. And this has just gone on for years and years and years. Minneapolis is the city of Philando Castile, who was in his car. And if anyone, it's this horrifying video where the police end up shooting him point blank uh, when he was telling them he was reaching for his registered firearm to show him the, the paperwork for this thing. This is just time after time, people haven't gotten justice for these killings. In the U.S., the police kill a thousand people a year. And that hasn't seemed to slow down during the pandemic. There was uh, Brianna Taylor, who was a paramedic who was recently killed in her apartment at two o'clock in the morning when the police stormed it. They later said, oh, they had the wrong apartment. They stormed it and shot her and killed her in her own apartment, completely unprovoked. And there's just no justice. And it goes on and on and on. And at this point, people are so desperate for something to happen. There's a similar phenomenon in the 60s with the Watts rebellions in, uh, in 1965. And then you've got people like Trump going on Twitter and saying, if the looting starts, the shooting starts. I mean, the, the only people who are getting killed in this situation are still at the hands of the police. And it's just, it's the most abhorrent thing but there are people who are condemning it and uh those are largely the people who have not been condemning the thousand killings a year um that have gone on to the hands of the police which is in my opinion the you know the real violence going on you know i'd rather everything got burned down and no one uh got killed yeah 
a lot of the reaction seems to portray this as an isolated incident, but there's been a long line of police shootings um, of unarmed black men in recent history and comparisons between Michael Brown and Ferguson at the Eric Garner incident and then George Floyd now currently. And all of this came from stops for like absolutely minor offences. I think George Floyd specifically, they tallied up the bill of, I think it was fake cigarettes or something, and it was like $20. But it, it raises the issue again of the growing militarization of the police force in America. Like I think rates of crime have dropped over the years but the budgets for uh, police departments have vastly increased and there's that kind of disconnect between the two i i just have like does this i don't know if in like other countries if, if this would even there are 40 million kids i'm a teacher right and mm-hmm. you were talking about how these other budgets are getting cut and we've been cut every year yeah. less counselors all this stuff there are now over 40 million kids in the u.s who go to school every day in a school that has a police officer at the school, no counselor. Does that have any sort of comparison to Ireland? Well, I always think the contrast is always uh, much more extreme in America. I do think there's comparisons maybe in how the funding is allocated. I think you can always see like you see where the priority is with funding. And I think with America where um, there will be people especially now suffering during the pandemic with um, their payments like I was reading earlier with people waiting like nine weeks for their payments to come true but yet you look at the spending on police budgets and then also corporate handouts they went through the same afternoon no one had to wait for that no one had to be online people call these unemployment offices here and like people say they call 200 times a day for weeks I'm lucky enough to still be working we're doing Mm -hmm. digital teaching and stuff but People like they can't, you know, they can't get through. They can't pay their rent. It's a nightmare. Um, we have at the moment, there's kind of um, our own government are kind of moving into action to vilify people who are taking these these payments, even though there's mass like it's the major numbers of people out of work. Uh, and our government responded with a, a 350 euro package. Um, it was initially lower and stated that initially that oh this is what someone can live on then they realized actually people can't live on this we need to boost it up to 350 and how much how much is like the average rent oh in dublin it's skyrocketed it really has skyrocketed um but but it was kind of an omission from the government that oh actually 350 is what someone needs to live on uh and now they're trying to roll that back by by painting it as in uh they're saying that oh people are lucky to be on this there's a lot of people who wouldn't have been making that type of money so you can already see that kind of retrenchment from the government to kind of pit people back against each other Uh, we could probably draw a comparison with uh the uprisings going on in minnesota at the moment and how they tried to paint it as like violent um rupturous like chaotic type of demonstrations um people pointing towards the target and the uh, i think it was autozone two companies which are like multi-billion dollar companies who will claim out their insurance at the moment for it uh what do you make of the media coverage of it yeah i mean so the day of the first protest when the narrative Mm. wasn't riots yet the narrative was this guy was brutally killed by the police and the community is in uh mourning and anger at another man um, who is just murdered in front of their eyes. I mean, if you've seen this mm-hmm. video, they're saying, yeah. check his pulse. They're telling, check his nine minutes. When yeah. that was the narrative, there was an article in the New York Times, but I had to dig 
dig, dig, dig through the pages. It wasn't on the front page. It wasn't on the next page. It wasn't on the next page. This was on their app. You had to really dig. And so that's burying it. They had no real interest in covering that story. Mm-hmm. Once the narrative was, you know, they're setting things on fire and all this, guess what? Front page. Yeah. Big yeah. letters all over there. So, I mean, that is irresponsible journalism, to say the least. That is the type of approach that gets people to the point of desperation where they feel like they have nothing left to, there's, there's no way to enact real change because the real crimes get ignored. And, and, and what do you do about that? I think people are in a really desperate state. And of course, you want to compare that to the far right where are these protests where people are saying, mm-hmm. give me back my freedom. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be locked up and I want to go back to work and open up the economy. I mean, a lot of these protests are astroturf protests that are, mm-hmm. you know, covered by, um, they got their funding and their um, outreach covered by the a lot of the same billionaires that are pushing for to try to trick these workers to going back early into unsafe working conditions, right? Um, and those are covered, uh, you know, want to hear both sides. And, you know, even in the liberal media, I think it's quite respectful to a certain extent. And, um, and you just look also at the way the police views them and the police treats them is um, always responsible and respectful. But the first night before any of this um, burning uh, happened in Minneapolis, I mean, they were using concussion grenades. The police were using concussion grenades. You, they didn't use a concussion grenade when people stormed the Capitol with guns saying, open the country back up. Mm-hmm. There was not a concussion grenade that I heard of. And so the difference of the police and the difference of the media is, yeah, it's, I mean, night and day. Yeah, I think that's a good point in that the differing response from the media and the government to those two demonstrations shows their attitudes towards movements seeking to preserve the status quo and those seeking to make fundamental changes in the way that this one is. And it can be very hard to break through this, but it does seem like there's been a good response. And what has that been like where you are? So, I mean, I haven't heard any reactions yet to Trump's newest thing saying he's thinking about calling in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, It is worth remembering... The Watts Rebellion, the Watts Riots of, of 1965, where the police had injured a, a pregnant woman mm. and people rebelled in a similar way. Um, and, and Martin Luther King called it the language of the unheard, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. What ended up happening is the National Guard was called in and they ended up killing 34 people in Watts, uh, which right. is a city in, in the U.S. So... Um, that's a real, that's really frightening. Um, and I haven't heard specific um, responses just um, because of the time of day and, and that this is sort of just happening live. But there is a protest going to happen here in Seattle on Saturday, led by this guy, um, Andre Taylor, who called for it, who is the brother of someone who here in Seattle uh, got killed by the police. Um, got no justice and the prosecutor uh, in Seattle said he wasn't going to prosecute because killing his brother fell within department guidelines. So the, the problem is widespread and the response um, I think is going to be is widespread as well. We saw it spread to Columbus, saw it spread. I don't think that 
people will take a similar approach here in Seattle. I don't really anticipate that. Um, but I think it's going to be a big um, uh, a march and rally in solidarity with um, with uh, against this, you know, police police violence for sure. And I think those are popping up all over the place. I'm hearing reports from different DSA chapters that their local area is having one, or that they're taking an initiative mm -hmm. with um, other organizations. You know, um, uh, the, whether it's the NAACP or a whole lot of other uh, Black Lives Matter organizations, a lot of um, different community groups getting together and trying to give some expression to to the anger um people can come together and can um can have that but at the same time i think people feel like you know we've done that uh and the killings continue right yeah. like it's about a thousand people a year and it's not well tracked it's not tracked by the government but the police kill a thousand people a year it was tracked for two years by the guardian until they lost funding i believe to do that but it was a thousand people a year and so if you take that math, you think since uh, George Floyd was killed, they've already killed 10 more people. They weren't caught on camera. We don't hear about it. But it's, I think it's important. The depth and breadth of the crisis is sometimes not understood, especially by the white working class here in the U.S., um, who has disproportionately less exposure to that. But it should be said that police also kill uh, by the numbers more um white folks every year um of course they're poor working class white folks yeah, right yeah but um uh but it's it's disproportionately less but in absolute numbers it is something that they are um it's all it's you know it's across yeah i had the, seen it and it, it often cuts across class lines more than anything else it's it's generally in like poorer areas that you get these kind of outbursts and i think you make a good point you that only you see what's recorded and even with eric garner it was a similar thing the video was online and you could see the brutal force that the police used but i think it's hard to link demonstrations like this uh, to larger movements or to broader organizations where the energy will kind of be conserved and channeled in the right ways yeah there were i mean in the Black Lives Matter movement in its heyday, there were real attempts to bring together um, organizations. There's a movement for Black Lives, a coalition of over 100 um, organizations. Um, there was like a lot of different organizations that came out of it. But um, something like the DSA, but specifically racial justice, I think hasn't um, really manifested and so definitely there is i think a, a a real concern that like you said things might burn quite brightly and then sort of die back down and the frustration and desperation deepens but i would hope i i hope and i i think i would be um i'm quite confident that pe some people who are involved in these things right now especially the more prominent a role that uh dsa is able to play uh, will get involved in the DSA and will continue that organization because continuing that, solidifying that anger into ongoing discussion and action and a place to get organized and have a response to these things uh, and also just be pushing in a consistent way. It just makes so much more efficient the energy. It's like these, you know, mass protests that are more spontaneous and don't kind of keep that energy sort of organized and moving forward it can burn out brightly and then like you said and then sort of dissipate and that's uh you know not enough to meet the task but it ends up being that i think people i i don't blame people for drawing a conclusion that it's hopeless because mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There's been so much anger, so much um, action, so much, so many attempts at this point. And what do we have to show for it? I think that's what this was so reminiscent of Eric Garner. I think that's something that really hit home that he was saying, I can't breathe, that it felt like in six years, where have we gone? You know? Yeah, I think at times like this, it's very tough to maintain a perspective of what's been gained over the last couple of years. And this is coming at a, an especially difficult time for the left in America in that one of the major movements, the Bernie Sanders campaign, has begun to wind down. And there's that danger that the energy that built up around this gets lost without like a coherent direction. So where does the left in America go from here? And, and how would you assess the situation? Well, definitely the Bernie Sanders campaign this time, even more than the last, was a real uh, multiracial coalition of working class forces who wanted to fight for, uh, for a better world. I think um, much deeper roots. And I think a lot of times to myself, how much more hope we would have if Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders was a potential nominee, how this would be shaping the reaction. I haven't heard Joe Biden's reaction to Trump's things, but I can almost like imagine it in my head. Yeah. It's like super flat and like, you shouldn't be saying you're going to shoot people. Yeah, it's tonal, like, criticisms, yeah. Oh, which is just, like, the most, it's not just, like, aggravating or cringeworthy. It's, it's, it it has a real cost, right? And people have something to fight for. If people are, if those efforts are organized and put in a forward direction, um, it's just, it becomes so much more powerful. The world can be changed. And with him dropping out right now, I think not playing a great role. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really sort of trying to you know, make sure people support Joe Biden and focusing his efforts there. I haven't heard his reaction to um, what's happening in Minneapolis, but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty good. But from the standpoint of the DSA, mm-hmm. um, we've had over 15,000 people join the DSA since Bernie Sanders dropped out. Now over 65,000. But the DSA is very uh, much dedicated trying to um, organize the efforts of these people so that people don't just uh, become, you know, disillusioned and drop out of politics. Mm-hmm. I think if yeah. we look at like five years ago, if you, if I'd, you know, if I'd said to you five years ago that a democratic socialist in the United States would almost win the nomination for president, would you believe me? No, it's crazy. It's so we should it's... see how far we've come, right? Like, not just, not get... Um... Disheartened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the word. Did you see that picture? It's like a socialist book club in 2010. Uh-huh. And it was like, they were over the moon with three members. And then it was like, socialists in 2020. And it was like, like oh, I can't believe we came second in a very close race uh, to become president. <laughs> Um, it sums it up perfectly, right? There's so a good, lot to yeah. be hopeful for. Yeah. It may not look like it based on where the world's going. Environmental catastrophe coming. Mm-hmm. COVID crisis being just uh, just overwhelmingly dominated by the arguments of big business on both sides. You know, racialized killings by the police. Like, this is a horrible world that we live mm-hmm. in. But mm-hmm. there are those real reasons yeah. to be hopeful. People are moving and doing and wanting to change things and they feel like enough is enough. And that's the time when things can really change. The Watts Rebellion is 1965. We're not a happy time, right? But that was a critical part of a process in the 60s that moved us towards so many reforms, towards a movement that stopped the war in Vietnam, towards a movement 
that won major environmental reforms. I don't know where the environment would be right now, honestly, if a lot of those things hadn't gotten passed. It delayed things. Mm -hmm. It um, gave us Roe v. Wade here, which was, you know, ability to um, have abortions. Um, all of these things, which are ultimately being peeled back, and it wasn't, you know, ultimately successful. We don't live in a socialist utopia right now, mm -hmm. but that is part of that process. The world looked so bad, and the world was looking worse, in part because people were fed up with it and were pushing back. And so that's that's definitely a reason to be hopeful. Is people yeah. are getting organized. Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives to be taken from the movements that you mentioned, and I think Bernie's campaign as well pointed to an alternative. But just to go back to the point on the DSA, which is operating at the moment within the Democratic Party in some way, they're running people um, within the Democratic Party line, and there's been a lot of discussion since uh, Bernie dropped out about the best way forward for the left, and yourselves in Reform and Revolution have argued that the DSA and other left groups behind the Bernie campaign should at this stage begin forming a, a democratic socialist party exterior to the democratic party but that they should also continue to use their line how would this function and, and how do you see this playing out well yeah i mean it's it's like um so for like i, I guess listeners who maybe don't like mm -hmm. it's not the same as like uh, as i understand sort of every other country that i sort of looked at um your political system like these parties, they're not like parties so mm -hmm. much. They seem, they're so nebulous because it's really at its core, it's just a sort of funnel of corporate money that comes down the pipe. And then there's a totally divorced, just people, a base that people that just vote for, say, the Democrats, and even the Republicans, mm -hmm. um, who vote on certain social issues primarily and just little things here. But um, but basically, you know, it's so uh, there have been so many attempts to, to break away from the Democratic Party that yeah. people have seen as failed. And so how do you really do this? How do you really do it in this really undemocratic system? Like you can't even get on the ballot as a third party in some places. Yeah. And if you do, the voting system is so undemocratic that the, the sort of argument you hear blast in your ears is you're just feeding votes to the Republicans. Yes. But really, it's the voting system that does it. And the Democratic Party, when in absolute power, has never tried to change this system, right? They could have done made it more democratic in many, many ways. But instead, they just complain how it's undemocratic when Trump uh, doesn't win the popular vote or whatever, whatever. Like, so how do you do it? And I, I think there's a really good conversation happening in DSA. And it's not a simple, do we, do we run as Democrats or do we sort of build, a, make our own party? Because mm. the hurdles are super real. Like, let's say, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, New York. Yes. So she's got 26 challengers. Yeah, it seems she's got, major. Yeah, sort of like they did with Bernie, right? Throw everyone at her and see yeah. what sticks, right? It's open season against AOC. <laughs> if she gave up the Democratic Party ballot line there, she couldn't run in the primaries yeah. for that seat. Instead, she would be outside of all of that. She would give up a really important ballot line that people are going to vote for her on. And she would have a much less chance of winning. And if she lost, that would be a big hit to the movement. That would be a big hit to um, people fighting for a Green New Deal, Medicare for all, racial justice. She has championed so many of those things. For her to be defeated would send that message and the establishment would ride that to the, all the way to the bank. I don't think she should give that up. 
I think that's a fight we want to make sure that we win. And there are a lot of people, you ask anyone in the, in the uh, DSA, you say, what do you think of the Democratic Party? They will give you so many four-letter words and expletives. <laughs> Appropriately. Appropriately, yeah, yeah. But so there's no one who's saying, oh, the Democratic Party's really good. That's not happening. But what is the tactics to get there? And I'm of the opinion, like sort of contrary to what I just said, mm. I'm of the opinion that the DSA should move to help lead other forces together to build a, a democratic socialist party yes. in the not too distant future. But sort of the, if we build it, they will come mentality has failed in the US many times. The, the hurdles are extremely real. And so a lot of people are saying, this is sort of the dominant Jacobin position is mm. running on the democratic ballot line is working. Uh, we sort of run in a hostile way, but we yeah. should keep it up. We should keep putting good platforms out there, good, what they call class struggle candidates yeah. and, and fighting to win. And in the future, absolutely. When we're strong enough, we should start pushing for an independent party. Now, I think a lot of that is true. Where I would differ and where Reform Revolution differs on that is we can't wait for a future time to start doing that prep work. Yeah. The DSA should be having robust internal discussions now um, about a, a democratic socialist party, what that would look like, what are any and all steps we can take. Like to go back to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I don't want to get too, you know, in the weeds with this, but there are voter laws in, um, in, in New York, which allow for what they call fusion voting. You can run on two different yeah. ballot lines at the same time, right? But could AOC and the, the DSA there also run her on a socialist ballot line, on a democratic socialist ballot line? They, they could, and they could champion for people to vote for her as a democratic socialist, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. not as a Democrat, and gauge a bit how much support they can build for people voting for her on that second ballot line and, and link that to building conferences and people getting active and building a real on the ground campaign and having conferences nationally um, and calling on these elected officials, these DSA elected officials come together, bring together some of the progressive unions, uh, you know, the couple of them that are that are supporting the Democratic Socialist candidates, because there's a growing number all the time of DSA elected officials, some of them who are already not mm -hmm. even getting elected as Democrats, um, yeah. but sort of every inroad we can make right now to push in that direction. Uh, while not sort of just taking it, if if we build it, they will come mentality. I think that's that's been the approach of of R and R. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that because I think something like the Bernie campaign shows the forces that are constantly moving against you when operating in the Democratic Party. And I think you can even see it. You mentioned people like Ocasio Cortez and the intense pressure that they're under at the moment to move to the right and how kind of isolated they are doesn't come through. So I think now at the time when the Bernie campaign is just winding down while the energy is still there among all these different organizations. I think there needs to be a driving force to move toward formation of a democratic socialist party because I think failing to do that by the time that break happens, this energy could be exhausted. But it's about tapping into it uh, as early as possible because you might not get an opportunity like this again. When's that perfect time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's so easy to say, well, it's not quite the right time. And yeah. that's a bit of, uh, I think, a trap of putting it off. And unfortunately, Bernie Sanders is giving the lead. But I mean, the time, there's sort of no time like the present, but we should be real about um, sort of not having 
Like there was a call from um, uh, Shama Sawand here in Seattle yeah. to sort of, we're going to launch a party next year and come, come out to it. Like, um, let's do it. Let's have a conference this year and launch a party next year. And uh, I think that approach is too rigid on the other side. I understand the sentiment. Yeah. I'm very sympathetic because I, I want to do that too. Um, but we, you also, Jacobin has a point. You want to make sure it doesn't fail. But the more democratic socialists are winning in the Democratic Party primaries, the more the pushback will be. We saw the big pushback from the media and the establishment against Bernie. It'll just ramp up and up and up. What happens if, this is a private club at the end of the day, what happens if the Democratic Party establishment changes the rules and makes it so we can no longer keep doing this? Yeah. Running on the Democratic Party ballot line becomes more restricted. Um, that wouldn't be the first time, right? Democrats were highly involved in the Red Scare in the 50s. Yeah. They've done all this stuff before. Loyalty pledges to the, to the government and the big companies and all this stuff. It's not beyond, um, beyond what, what history yeah. shows can happen. So what happens if that should happen tomorrow? How organized are we? How much have we really built? How prepared are we to respond to that? Or are we scattered by that? Are we like, oh no, our, our tactic is gone. What do we do? We don't know. We, I think we just want to be as organized as possible and ready for that. Because that's some of the things that I think would sort of tip the scale towards more wider numbers of people being like, what? You, you can't run as a Democrat and support Medicare for all or whatever. What, like yeah. that makes it, you could grab whole kind of new sections of mm -hmm. people that would understand that more and then can shift the balance towards the need for a new party. And if you can be organized and prepared for that, that can have a, a, a vessel to actually be built into. But like you said, that takes a while. Yeah, it can be extremely tough to decide which path to take, especially with so much harm being caused by the status quo at the moment. But I think it's vital to point people away from the Democratic Party. And that might actually not be as difficult seeing as they've chosen someone like Joe Biden to be their candidate for the upcoming election. How do you view that? Right. Yeah, I mean, he's he's doing something that no one thought was possible. He's making Hillary Clinton look relatable, <laughs> but truly. And and on top of that, just the um, just I mean, his misogyny, mm. racism, he has a rape allegation against him that seems yeah. even more credible than um, Kavanaugh, than Kavanaugh, the yeah. one against Kavanaugh. And yet you see so many people who were, you know, champions of, you know, don't let Kavanaugh take the bench for this accusation, who are now Biden apologists. And I yeah. think that is so traumatizing and disgusting to see. Um, for anyone who's been a victim of sexual violence yeah. to see that. And I think it's just such hypocrisy. Yeah, it's fucking awful. And I think it just reveals the kind of material interests um, that were always at the heart of and the concerns. Um, and I think this relates to what we were saying about how those material interests kind of galvanized the party in opposition to Bernie. You've seen, like, it went from, what, five candidates to two within like four days or something and the way oh, they kind it was of... like within three hours it was just before super tuesday yes so that that yeah. decisive day mm -hmm. and everyone lined up and they all released their press statements yeah. and they all had it ready and the press was out and with a million articles i mean yeah. it was the most prepared thing i'd ever seen i'm not someone who usually underestimates how much like the billionaire class is organized I too. Yeah, but i was too. surprised i yeah. did a double take i couldn't believe it just shows like no matter how much of a clown car they may look like 
they know how to, you know, get in line behind their candidate when the time comes. Yeah, really, despite their weakened position, they're still able to come together in the interests of capital. And I think that's the reason why it's so important for the left to come together in opposing this and shows why the work you guys are doing in Reformer Revolution and the DSA is so important. And that's really where the bright spots are, despite all the issues that are cropping up as um, as tough as they might be to take. There's a lot there that um, is really getting people to say enough is enough. Um, and I think it's petrifying that you know, we, we have a we have a government or a series of governments that thinks that during a pandemic, it's okay to put off, say, the COP26 conference to discuss climate change mm-hmm. and what to do about it. But the police killings, uh, you know, go forward. The, um, uh, I think, mass incarceration, right, where you've got um, people who are either detained for immigration, you've got millions of people locked up in prisons where this um, virus is running wild, that's got to, can't let people out of prison, can't let nonviolent inmates out of prison, right? Yeah. That's, that would be too much. Oh, but let's, let's turn a blind eye to the crises. Let's, you know, bail out these big corporations. Let's um, make sure that this, you know, all of this violence continues. And it just, um, it is getting to, uh, I think, a real boiling point. Um, and uh, and DSA is just a bit like uh, you know like a dog that um, <laughs> still thinks it's a puppy. Yeah. And so it, like yeah. it's like a big dog and it jumps on your lap and you oh you know what I mean like it's too it's like you're not a puppy anymore. <laughs> like there's a bit of that in DSA where um, I think a lot of people still like sort of in DSA sort of still see us as like a small organization. Yes, okay. How much impact can we have? And that's really changing. Um, and grappling with that and starting to actually give a lead to a lot of these struggles and helping to play a leading role in bringing different coalitions and organizations together. Really the idea that we could challenge the Democratic Party. I think for a lot of people, it's still, it, it, and in many, it still is. It's David and Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, David won, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think that's um, sort of the conversation that's starting to be out there of without Bernie Sanders at the forefront anymore, it's sort of, it is not me, us, as, yes. as sort of was the campaign slogan. And I think the fight for racial justice and the fight for uh, gender justice and uh, against environmental catastrophe are wrapped up completely in, in the fight for democratic socialism. And yeah. I don't think we've seen the last huge wave of people getting organized i think that's still that's still coming so that is a bright spot yeah i really think you've captured the reasons to be optimistic in that and i think that's probably the best note that we're going to get to wrap things up so once again thanks a million for coming on and going through this with us thanks for having me on this is great no no problem at all but that's going to be us for this week thanks a million everyone for listening in you can find more information on what we've discussed along with social media for the show in the Thanks a million. See you all later. You wake up and you hate fuck. You stick your trousers on and you last bit of makeup. You lost co-